Isaiah, please. Isaiah 37. It was my meditation all this week for a prayer week as I prepared for this morning. And the six words profoundly impacted me. I've read them before, but this week was different. And I read, because you have prayed to me. As I read it, I I read that phrase as a cause and effect statement. And so I have to ask, as I ask myself, I ask you this morning, because I know we know the answer, but sometimes we don't live like it. But the question is, does prayer affect things? Does prayer change things? James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's effectual. Now, if you want to call on people to give witness to that truth, just ask Hannah in Scripture who couldn't have children, and she prayed, and God gave her Samuel. Elijah prayed, and he stopped and started rain over a period of three years. He called down fire from heaven that consumed everything on the altar, all through prayer. Joshua's prayer made the sun stand still so that they could win the battle. Zacharias's prayer for his wife Elizabeth, who could not have children even in her old age, brought about an effective change in Israel because she gave birth to John the baptizer. Moses' prayer stopped God from wiping out all of Israel when they worshipped the golden calf. Jesus prayed and Lazarus was raised from the dead. Paul prayed and churches were formed because hundreds of people gave their lives to Christ. So it doesn't take long, does it, to turn through the pages and chapters of Scripture to realize prayer does change things. Hezekiah, in the passage I had you read in Isaiah 37, gives great tr- illustration to that truth. The context is as he is surrounded by Sennacherib. Sennacherib was the world leader. Assyria was the world power. And he has brought 185,000 soldiers And surrounded Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the last piece of Israel that he hasn't conquered in that sense. And the Bible says that he prays. Hezekiah prays to God. And because cause he prayed to God, the effect was the Assyrians were defeated. The phrase, because you have, as it's mentioned in our text, is used all throughout the Bible to illustrate that point. God says it to Satan when he's the serpent. He says, because you have done this, you will be cursed. God says to Adam, because you listened, because you have listened to your wife, you also will be cursed. God says it through Samuel to Saul. Samuel says to Saul, because you have not kept the commandments of God, the kingdom will be torn from you. God says to Solomon, because when you pray to me, you ask this for wisdom and not for riches and power, I'm going to give you both. It is a phrase that is definitely in Scripture a cause and effect statement. Because, Hezekiah, because you have prayed to me. The world power has been toppled. Assyria has been defeated 185,000 soldiers all lay dead on the field, and you did nothing to do any of those things except you prayed. I wonder, can it be said of us, can it be said of you, that as God looks at your life, can he say, because you have prayed to me, this has happened. 
Can he say to you, because you prayed to me, you know what? That's why your marriage was restored. That's why your child who was rebellious repented. That's why your friend that you've been trying to reach has become a Christian. That's why your brother defeated his addiction. That's why your great ministry need at Faith Baptist Church was supplied. That's why you got that new job that you sorely needed. That's why in all of your anxiety and fear and depression, you finally found peace. You know what it was? Because you prayed to me. But I can't help but think that perhaps even as we look back over 2018, that maybe God has to say, do you know how many things you missed? You know how much help that God could have given you in your circumstances? You know how many blessings that you could have missed and perhaps Faith Baptist Church could have missed? And more than that, about how many things could have furthered the gospel and the kingdom plan and agenda of God because we did not pray? Maybe God would say this, because you have not prayed Because you haven't prayed to me, it didn't happen. There is a verse that is sad to read in 2 Chronicles 16, 12 of a man who really knew God and and obeyed him and honored him for the vast majority of his life. But at the end, it says of Asa that he became diseased in his feet. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. Instead, it says, he sought help from from the physicians and he died. And he died because he didn't seek the Lord. I wonder how many of us have not been used by God, have not been used to further his gospel and his story and his kingdom. And some of the things that are taking place in our life are happening because we did not pray to him. Perhaps marriages end in divorce. People are still lost. Doors of opportunity for witnessing and evangelism remains closed. Teens are still prodigals. And maybe the very reason is because we have not prayed to him. You cannot help but read this text and come to the conclusion that God has designed prayer to be one of the major means of reaching and accomplishing his sovereign purposes in our world. God has decreed that the prayers of his people are the cause of his triumphs. Let me say it a little more sharply. Prayer wins battles. Prayer wins battles. One could say that Hezekiah had problems, and he did. And his main problems to many might have been those things that were outside the walls of Jerusalem. But I would tell you, if you look at the text a little more closely that his greatest problems were outside the walls, they were inside the walls. His greatest enemy was not Sennacherib or 185,000 soldiers. His greatest enemies was prayerlessness. As he looked out at his circumstances, would he look up to God? That was the question. He certainly was outmanned and he was certainly outnumbered. In fact, the Rabshakeh, who was the voice of Sennacherib, who was mocking the people of Israel in their own language so they could understand the threats that he was giving to them. In chapter 36 and verse 8, mocks him and says, hey, if you want to fight us, we'll even give you 2,000 of our horses, even if you could possibly have enough men to put on them. It's a mock. It says, listen, we'll give you some of our stuff, but you won't even be able to have enough men to put on them because that's how weak and inferior your army is. And The truth is, is they were right. 
And in Hezekiah's prayer, he says, Lord, truly, the kings of Assyria have wiped out everybody. I mean, they are powerful. They are stronger than us. And Hezekiah knew this as he looked at his problems. That our problems are not getting more horses and more soldiers. Our problem is, will we seek God in our difficulties? And God says, because you have sought me, because you have needed me, because through prayer you have depended on me. And by the way, and because you didn't go to Egypt and you didn't try to get their armies to back you up. Instead, when you knew you couldn't win, when you knew the odds were impossible, when you thought there was no hope of victory, you prayed to me, he says. That's the real battle, isn't it? In our lives, when it comes to prayer, prayer is the battle. Public battles are first won in private. And our greatest struggles are not on the battlegrounds, but on holy ground. It's will we get on our knees as we face problems, whether it's corporately at Faith Baptist Church, whether it's personally in 2019, will we fight first on our knees? Because when we do, we are making a statement. And this is what I want you to clearly understand this morning when it comes to prayer When we choose to pray and turn to God, when we are surrounded, when the outcome seems to be uncertain, will we pray to God? Because when we do, can I tell you according to this text, prayer wins battles. Here's why. Because our God is supreme. He is above all other gods. Prayer is a statement about the supremacy of God. When you first look at this text as I did and you read it over and over again, you would think that the primary battle is Israel against Assyria, Sennacherib against Hezekiah. If you would think that's the primary battle, you would be wrong. The battle really is against Assyria's God's little g and Israel's God, big G. The way the battle is fought by prayer, the way the battle is won by a single angel, gives us the indication that the earthly things that we can see are not the main struggle. The main struggle that we have as a church and as you have in your life are not things that you can see, but things that you cannot see. And that's why we pray, because when we get on our knees, we are declaring that the answers to our problems are beyond us. And that there is one and only one person who can solve all of those issues. And that is God, the true God of the Bible. Let me show you what I mean. In chapter 36, if you'll look there in verse 19, even the Assyrians get what this is really about. Twice in the text, it asks the questions by the Assyrians. You know, when we fought all these other battles, the Assyrians, before we came to Jerusalem, we won this battle, this battle, this battle. In fact, if you read on in chapter 36, you'll find that they were 9-0. and 0. If they were keeping records, and this was their victory, they were undefeated. And it lists all the, the enemies and all the countries that they defeated. And here's what they said in verse 19. Where are the gods of Harmoth and Arpad? Where are they? Where are the gods, little g, of Sepharvim? Where are they? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Say, hey, we fought their gods and they thought their gods were great, but they weren't because we won the battle. And then he says in verse 20, 
Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? He said, we've come across every god there possibly is, and they don't match up. Because in the ancient Near East mindset, whoever wins the battle, their god is really the god, and the other one is not. So here's what the Assyrians think. Our god must be real, and all yours are false, because you lose to us. We're more powerful. We defeat you every time. And here's what he says about Israel's God. Big mistake. For the Lord shall deliver Jerusalem out of my... Don't say... Don't let Hezekiah tell you that, hey, your God is any different. And sometimes I can tell you this. Because God's people are prayerless, I think that we believe that. We believe that our gods aren't any different than any other gods that exist in this world, quote-unquote... And we think going to the Lord is not going to make any difference. But here's what Hezekiah says. Can I tell you why I get on my knees? Because God, the God of the Bible, is the true and living God. And all the other gods, they are nothing. If you survey and peruse all the famous battles in the Bible, and I took the time to do that this week, you'll find that almost every single one of them are not about the combatants involved. They are about which God is supreme. Let me give you some examples. God delivers his people out of Egypt. We call it the Exodus. And there were ten plagues. And God brought ten plagues on Egypt. But it wasn't a battle between the Hebrews and the Egyptians the most. It was about their gods. That's why every single plague was a plague on the power of one of Egypt's gods. So every time the frogs, the fro- all that stuff... God was showing, see, your God is not God, I'm God. The true God is the Hebrew God, the God of Israel. That's the God. And so when he brought them out of Egyptian bondage, even the Egyptians say, please let them go because their God is the true God. Even the Egyptians had to say it. David versus Goliath. They're they're both talking to each other. Can I say it? Ancient trash talking each other before the battle. And they're not, they do say, hey, you're runny and I'm big. I fought for my youth. You're just still a youth. They do all that. But then they start talking about the real issue and that the Philistines' gods are really the gods. And, and David says, listen, I'm going to not only beat you and I'm going to cut your head off and I'm going to show you that your God is nothing and that the God of Israel, you can't talk about my God because he's going to step up. Elijah is on the Mount Carmel and he, they're calling on their gods, and they're cutting themselves. And they're doing all these things to get their god to send down fire. Their god is Baal. And by the way, their god is the storm god. And what he's famous for is rain, which they hadn't had in three years, and lightning, which he can't get down to consume the altar. And Elijah gets up, and he mocks them. He says, maybe your god is too busy. And literally in the Hebrew, maybe he is going to the restroom and he can't come right now. That's what the text says. And then Elijah prays. And he doesn't have to jump around and do any crazy things. He just, can I hear? He just prays. And fire, which Baal should do in his own home territory, God, the true God, brings down fire from heaven. What if the meeting on Thursday with our township? What if it's not primarily about the land? What if it's not primarily about the use or the building that we intend to build on it someday? What if it is about 
whose God is supreme? What if the meeting is about who has real power, who really is in charge and in control in Hamilton, New Jersey? What if the meeting is really about that? And can I just go a little bit more? Can I say this? What if that's really what your problems are about? What if we truly believed that our God was supreme? What if we believed that? What if we believed he was supreme and that he could do anything? And truthfully, inherent in Hezekiah's prayer argument is this, that God is supreme, therefore he cannot be defeated. I know the Assyrians are 9-0 and when it comes to other gods, but they don't hold a candle to the true God. I believe if we thought and practiced the reality of the supremacy of God in all things, not only would we pray more, but we would pray differently. So the Bible says not only the fact that Hezekiah prayed, but it tells us the words that he prayed. And that's important for us because three times in Scripture, in Kings and Chronicles and as Isaiah, this same prayer is recorded. Now when God gives you the same prayer three times, he must want you and I to get it. Let me tell you what that prayer is, beginning in verse 16. Hezekiah prayed. Remember, we're talking about the supremacy of God. So watch how he frames it so that you can learn to pray this way. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, watch. You are God, what? You alone. God, you're supreme. Now, he starts his prayer that way. Now, watch in verse 20. He ends his prayer almost with identical phraseology in verse 20. It says, So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, see there, you alone are the Lord. God, listen, this is what prayer is about. So prayer is about making a statement in all of our trials that God is supreme, that he is above everyone and everything else. And Hezekiah is going to show us, watch, that not only does he begin his prayer with the supremacy of God and end his prayer, but very in between, in the middle, he can't stop talking about how great and powerful and supreme God is. Verse 18, Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste. Yeah, it is true. They are undefeated. And notice what they've done. They have cast their gods. See it? Little G. Into the fire. See, all the lands they defeated, they put their gods. You know why they won? Because their gods weren't real. And they were, because here's what it says, put their gods in fire, for they were no gods. That's why they lost. Do you see what he's arguing? See, God, if we become just another defeat and they go 10 and 0, you know what that means? Here's he's arguing with God. That means you're no better than any other gods. That you're a little G God. And their little G-God is bigger than our little G-God. And everybody's going to think that you aren't really any different, he says. Watch the contrast. They are work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, watch, O Lord, our God. See, their God, little G, our God, big G. That's the difference, he says. That's the difference. I thought it was unusual in the text that, at least for me, I don't know about you, but if I was surrounded by 185,000 people who were trying to kill me, and I had no way that I was ever going to defeat them, the first words out of my mouth would have been, Oh, Lord, save us. 
That's the first thing. But can I tell you in the text? Look at it. It's the very last thing Hezekiah says. Do you ever do that on your knees? Oh, God, I'm in such financial difficulty. Oh, God, please, I want you to do this. And God, I want you to save them. And God, I want you to do this at Faith Baptist Church. And God, I want you to do this. And please heal so-and-so. And you know, it's the first thing out of our mouth, not Hezekiah. The very last thing out of his mouth is, oh, Lord, save us. The very first thing out of his mouth and the second thing out of his mouth is about how great God is. And how supreme God is. See, can I give you a principle here when it comes to prayer? The first thing you need to do when you pray is to see God. See God for who he is. Because when you see God, you will see your problems completely different. I have, I have never climbed Mount Everest. I've never climbed Mount Everest. But I was told it is the number one highest elevation in the world. Over 29,000 feet, that's over four and a half miles in the air. And there are many people who have died trying to get to the top. But when you get to the top, those who have been there, they said about the size of the top of a pool table is the summit. So you're standing at the top of the world in a place where about three or four people can stand together. In an article I read, the guy said this, I stood on the top of Everest, and then he said, excuse me, I stood on the top of the world, and he said this, and I couldn't get any higher. Can I tell you, when you get low on your knees, you can't get any higher. And you know why we need to pray? Because we need to see everything on earth from heaven's perspective. If you read Revelation chapter 4 and 5, before it gets into all the tribulation and the Antichrist and the beast and the false prophet and all the bad, all that stuff that everybody likes to curiously study. But you know what that foundation is laid? It's two chapters on seeing God's throne and him high and lifted up and the cherubim around him and the four and, and all the angels and all the, the, everybody's in heaven praising God and worshiping and how he's in control of everything. That's what, we, that's what prayer does. Prayer allows us to get as high as possible, to see everything that's going on down below in earth from God's perspective. That's what prayer does. And so can I tell you this? When you don't have that perspective and you only see right in front of your face, no wonder we're filled with anxiety. No wonder we're filled with depression. No wonder we worry and we don't know what's going to happen. And we get all frantic. You know why we do that? Because we only see things from our perspective. You know why Hezekiah didn't freak out? You know why he didn't have a problem? You know why he didn't turn to the medicine cabinet? You know, you know why? Because he saw God. He saw God for who he was. And God, you're supreme. You are higher. You are bigger. You are stronger than anyone or anything. Hezekiah sees God. And now he's ready to see the Assyrians. But I'm not done yet. And neither is Hezekiah. Because here's what the Bible says. So now, Lord, verse 20, our God, save us from his hand. Can I tell you this? When you pray... And God says, because you prayed for me, here's the kind of prayer he's looking for. Not only prayer with a different perspective, that God is supreme, listen, but with a completely different purpose. Now, 
He does pray, Lord, save us. But what's the purpose behind it? See, you might come to him and say, Lord, my, my marriage is falling apart. Please, I don't want this to end in divorce court. Please, can you turn around my son and my daughter? Can, l- listen, God, I don't want them to deny you. And, and you're saying, listen, God, can you help us at Faith Baptist Church? Can you help us do in the ministry we're in? And you pray for those things. And, you, and listen, but you, here's the difference in the prayer. As he says at the end of his prayer, that, see the little word that? It's a purpose clause that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. See, God, I want you to do things for me so it points to you. This, see, can I tell you this? When God says, because you have prayed to me, these are not me prayers that you're giving to God. These are we prayers. This is God's first prayers. So when you ask God to turn your child's heart around, don't just say it because you'll be better and your kid will be better. Say, God, listen, I'm a Christian. I follow you and I want my children to follow you because you deserve it. I don't want them to blaspheme. I don't want them to hold back the gospel. I don't want them to taint your supremacy. God, turn them around for your glory. See, when we go to the township on Thursday... Lord, don't just give us the land because we'd like to build a building and wouldn't it be great to play basketball? No, you know why we want that? Because your name is at stake, God. Because you're the great God. And we want them to know that, see, it's not the mayor in the office in Trenton, the building that's in charge. You're in charge. Mayor Jesus is king in Hamilton. And we want them to show that even though we've been, they've been defeating everybody else about building things, not you, God, because you're not a God like anybody else. You are the one true living God. Three examples I gave you, the Exodus. Listen to this. God says at the Exodus, you know why I'm going to bring Pharaoh up and I'm going to destroy him? Listen, that they may know that there is none like me in all the earth. You know why God delivered his people out of Egypt? Yes, so they wouldn't be slaves secondary. So that their freedom would point to the fact that he's the only true God. The Bible says in 1 Samuel, David fights Goliath and he's going to win the battle. And here's what he says. You know why, God, I'm asking you to help me gain a victory today? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Elijah prays on Mount Carmel, that God would bring down fire and consume everything on the altar. Why? So that they wouldn't kill him? Well, that would be a good one. But you know why he prays it? Listen, that this people may know that you are the Lord God. And you know what the people cry when the fire comes down in response to his prayer? Listen to what they say. The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Wouldn't it be great that when they approve us and that we're able, to the build, we, we're able to build on faith farm property, that we come back here and we thank God and say, Lord, you are the God. You are the God. You're the God that can do with the impossible. You can do what no one else can do. 2019, without a doubt, will be filled with battles. Battles that we as a church might face. Battles that your family will face personal battles that you will face. The question is not whether you will have battles. The question is how you will see them and how you will respond to them. How you will fight them. Will you fight on your knees? Because prayer does affect things. 
You know how I know? Well, the end of the chapter in verse 36, it says, And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose in the morning, (laughs) I love this, behold, it says, they were all dead bodies. All of them. Not one soldier was ever sent outside of Jerusalem. Not one sword was ever raised. Not one chariot, not one horse, not one weapon at all. But when they looked out, all of the Assyrians were dead. Why? Because prayer wins battles. Because God is the true and living God. He's real. Can I close with this? Don't miss the last teaching moment. The Bible says that when Hezekiah got news, in fact, it came in the form of a letter from Sennacherib outlining all the things that they were going to do to them. It says, and can I quote, verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Please underline it because it's not just fillers. Hezekiah went up, underline it in your Bible, to the house of the Lord and spread it out. He got all the words that Sennacherib was saying on the messenger's letter, he spreads them out, but he doesn't do it in his bedroom. He doesn't do it in some other hall or place. He goes to the temple of God in the house of the Lord. You know why? Because this is what he believes. He sees all that Sennacherib says and all the things they say they're going to do to him. So he goes into the place where God lives. In the house of the Lord. Now watch. When he goes into the house of the true God... The battle is won. You know how the story ends? Can I ask you to turn over to verse 38? Notice the same language in contrast. Sennacherib is defeated. All of his soldiers are dead, so he goes home. And he was worshiping, now watch, same language, different God. Remember, Hezekiah went into the house of the Lord And the Bible uses the same phrase, I believe, for a reason. Because here's what it says. And he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his little G God. Hezekiah goes into the house of the true God and amazing things happen. Sennacherib goes into the house of his false God and his own two sons surprise him and murder him. What's the difference? God. Who's the real God? You can go in God's house and be surrounded and win. You can go in your house and not be surrounded at all and be killed. See the difference? That's what God wants us to get into our minds today and into our hearts. That we make a statement as individuals of church every time we get on our knees. We saying this, God, I know I see this but I see you. God, this is a big problem, but you're bigger. God, this enemy is so strong, but you are stronger. And God, there's not a person, there's not a problem, there's not a thing in my life or in the life of our church that you can't handle. And the reason is because you alone are God. Two temples, two gods, two different outcomes. In just a minute, we're going to close the service and be done. And my exhortation to you today is that you join us in prayer in the house of our God, the true and living God, who dwells above the cherubim. He is enthroned above all the angels. He is enthroned above all of the kingdoms of the earth. And he is enthroned 
in our hearts and our lives here at Faith Baptist Church. Join us. You know why? Because we want to say as we look back on 2019, and we want to rehearse this, because you have prayed to me, you built on that land. Because you prayed to me, people from all the nations fill Faith Baptist Church. Because you prayed to me, Mosaic Baptist Church was growing. Because you prayed to me, marriages were put back together, families were revolutionized, teenagers gave their life to Jesus, people went into the ministry, neighbors were reached with the gospel. Why? Because you have prayed to me. Let that be our creed this year. May it be what God sees at Faith Baptist Church when he looks at us. See what I did for them? And you know why? Because you have prayed to me. Let's close in prayer. I asked Dave to come and lead us in a song as we close today. Purposely, I chose this song because it's what I want you to remember. And the song is Behold Our God. I want you to see God and his supremacy, and his glory, and his greatness. I don't know if I can moralize for a little bit in application. I don't know what your problems are today personally, what you're surrounded by. I don't know all the difficulties you face. And I'm not saying because you pray, God will change them or make everything better, because we know better than that. But I can tell you this, he's still bigger and greater than any problem. And I pray that your first realization would be that my battle today is not with my spouse, with my children, with my boss. It's with God. That's where I need to go. I need to fight these problems on my knees. You know how Paul ends Ephesians 6? He lists all the spiritual armor. And then in verse 18 he says, and praying with all prayer in the spirit. You know how you put on every armor piece? With prayer. I don't know what spiritual battle that you're facing or the fight that you're in, but I do tell you this prayer wins battles because God is supreme. And if we believe that, I pray as a church this year, we will pray more and we will pray differently together and individually. And may it be that it starts today, even right after this service. Father, Your word is so clear. There is no God like you in all the earth. There are the gods in the ancient Near East times that were made with man's hands, wood, stone. They weren't real. But Father, we have made different images and different gods in our day. And we believe and people believe that they are powerful and they are stronger Father, there is no God like you because the truth is you are God and you alone. And we acknowledge that reality. We revel in that reality. We worship you today because of that reality. May it grab a hold of our hearts this year. And may we pray like never before, knowing that our God is supreme and that you rule and that you are on the throne. Help us to see all of life from our knees because we see you on the throne. Help us to do that the more. And may you be glorified in all the victories that you give us for your kingdom and your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.